RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Season 4, Episode 24, Star Trek Phase 2, Daily Production Reports, Part 3. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Hey, welcome back, Star Trek fans. All you canonistas, I say that lovingly, of course, and of course, all you Star Trek historians, background fans, and yes, you Trekophiles, spelled with an F. We've been building a real saga here of, of a largely uh, unknown and unstudied corner of Star Trek lore, and it even has some reverberations for us today. Uh, listen, as always, as you can every week, go to our Facebook page at The Trek Files. Look at this week's documents. It's some more production reports from this interesting corner of time we like to call late 77, early 78 <laughs> in Star Trek land. Take a look at what we've got there, and I will be right back with our returning special guest. Daily Production Report. Star Trek. Director Bob Collins. January 10th, 1978. Extra Talent. Henri Sigler. Mary Peters. Ear Test. David Gautreau. Yes, all right, Trekophiles. <laughs> I won't even bandy this about. We've got our special guest of recent episodes here, David Gatrol, with us again. The once and future Zahn, you'll know him best as Commander Branch, um, has had a wonderful life and has now recently re-embraced, uh, <laughs> finding out that some of us out here actually care about it, uh, re-embraced the whole saga of Zahn and the motion picture and what a fascinating corner of Star Trek. David, thanks so much for coming back with us. No, it's a real pleasure, Larry. Enjoy the show. I'm happy always to be able to share my part of Gene Roddenberry's creations and that Zahn was somebody that he felt very, very happy about. And I like telling the story of what Zahn meant and did for me. And it had nothing to do with show business and had nothing to do with uh, being in a motion picture or a television series. It has a lot more to do with the creature that Gene had created that I then had to find my way to personify in a continuing role in television, which is a hell of mm -hmm. a challenge, especially if you look at a character on paper who is like, oh, my God, you're a full Vulcan. You can't show any emotion <laughs> and everything about you is logical. And now don't be a two by four. Right. You know, you, you can't be a piece of wood. Which is a wood. dimension that's uh, frightened away a lot of actors or, it, or disinterested a lot of actors to say, why would I want to play exactly. a Vulcan that has no emotion? What right. am I supposed to do? What am I supposed and to do And just to here? set the scene, we've been through auditions. We've, in past episodes, folks, if you haven't listened to our last two episodes, please do, because this really is a, we're turning it into a three-part saga here, although mm. it was a very compressed amount of time in real life, just three, four, five months. Realistically. Right, yeah. in real time. Mm. But to set the stage where we, where we last left Lieutenant Zahn, <laughs> um, you survived the, the interloper <laughs> brought in from some quarters. The English uh, brat. The English brat survived that. And so you just had told us that what could go wrong now? The pilot has been elevated to its own standalone mm. theatrical Motion movie. picture. Right, right. Yeah. 
which is a big deal. Let's think about it. I mean, it was a brilliant script, and it was probably going to be an incredible motion picture. And on the heels of Star Wars, it would be incredible for Paramount. And then guess what? We're going to immediately go into the series. So it's all hands on deck. Let's get ready. But still the pressure on the character of Zahn. The pressure on Gene to, mm-hmm. to recreate Spock again. The right. Eternals, the Eternal Star Trek dilemma of it's the new thing has got to be exactly the same as the old thing, That's except right. totally different. That's correct. And all that pressure focused on the new Vulcan. Right on paper, Zahn, full Vulcan, top of the class, Vulcan Science Academy, awaiting his first commission, knowing it's going to be something big. And uh, Gene wrote that he'd gone off on a high fast in meditation in the desert mm. and that he would be beamed on board in full meditation ceremonial robes, somewhat Christ-like, long hair overshadowing his ears and sandals. And McCoy would greet him with, oh, my God, you smell to high heaven. Go to sick bay. You're a what? <laughs> You're no science <laughs> officer. You know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I looked at that as an incredible challenge and a great opportunity. And the first thing I did was actually commit myself to a high fast and meditation. You I myself decided if he can do 14 days without food, I can do 14 days without food. Because after all, I'm him. And I did. And I'll tell you, it's terrorizing at first, the first three days. You're looking at every vena schnitzel going, why isn't that mouth-watering thing in my mouth? (laughs) And then after three days, you're starting to realize, why are human beings so complex? Why can't they just see how simple life is? Because you've already lost Mm -hmm. some of the adhesions that food creates in your body. After 10 days, you're literally in a whole other space. You're seeing that each person that you're dealing with puts up incredible amount of obstacles to simply saying yes or no. They always go, yeah, but, 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 and fill in the blank. While you, in the 10th day of a fast in meditation, you're right there with the yes or no. You're moving on. And that's the first realization I hit that would feed into the playing of the character of Zahn, which is that there were no but, but, buts, no Mm -hmm. dot, dot, dots in his world. I shared that on the 12th day of this supposed (laughs) 14-day I decided I'm going to go bowling. I used to be a pretty good bowler. I could bowl, you know, 180, 190. On this day, 12th day of my fast, I bowled a 285. That's 15 points away from a perfect. And it was simply because I had become a Vulcan. And that clarity. The clarity of purpose. So that was the beginning of an incredible journey to actually realize, oh, my God, this is what Gene Roddenberry is writing about. This is what he wants out of me. And I shared this with Gene. I said, Gene, oh, by the way, I'm in the middle of this really incredible fast. Don't hurt yourself, David. No, no, no. That's not my point, Gene. This is so exciting. And I'm really understanding what it is to be a Vulcan. I understood at this point in time that Gene had created a Vulcan planet as a tool to show how we could end war, that they had rendered emotions somewhat illegal, and that over time, over generations, by removing emotions from the hemisphere, that they had actually effectively ended the concept of war. You did get into this, David. For a person who came to this not as a fan and did all the research... Afterwards. And and in the fact... Yeah, after the fact. Once I realized, David, guess what? You're playing this role, and you're going to be playing for the next at least six years of your life. So you better get your S together, and you better find out exactly what it is that Gene... What his intentions are with this character. Why is he so gleeful about... Gene was giddy 
about this role. He was giddy about this character. Uh, I think he was joyful that it was going to be such an interesting segue from Leonard Nimoy and Mr. Spock into something completely fully realized, 25 years old. Well, for the scope of the new series mm-hmm. and all that, I know there had been – it's sounding like you're – He's moved past the disappointment at not having the entire cast together. And yeah. there, was, there was friction between Gene and Leonard, even in those days, mm-hmm. things left over from the series. Mm-hmm. And Leonard moving on with his career, as Shatner would have the same concerns. Right. The two out of that cast that had big fish to fry, right. concerned about being you know, uh, handcuffed, shackled to this property that might not be the best thing for furthering their careers or what have you. But Mm -hmm. Shatner was back. Mm -hmm. Money spoke. Uh, Leonard, you know, and and not, I'm not putting it down. That's a savvy decision. And he was the lead. He was the captain Mm -hmm. and Leonard making the decision not to for a host of reasons, but it's sounding like, um, making peace with that decision and Gene's feeling liberated to go, to go explore. I'm using my frame of reference and I'm using my experience. Mm-hmm. And I would sit in Gene's room and there was a lot of chaos going on by this point in time because now it's going to be a motion picture and a lot of things are going to change. Sure. And maybe the script that he had authored or co-authored was not necessarily going to be the one. And there's all this stuff going there's on. There's a lot more thumbs in the... Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. And he said to me, and I asked him, I said, well, how do you deal with all that chaos? And he goes, oh, David, I send my body to those meetings. But I, my mind, it stays right here. And this gleeful look in his face, he was like, he was like a child explaining that, oh, the adults, I don't go into the adult room. I let the adults thrash it out. Everything he was personifying or explaining to me, I basically incorporated into the role of Zahn. Because he was saying, separate yourself separate yourself. Now, on a personal level, in preparation for this role, I was from an industrial part of this country. I mm-hmm. was fist first. Don't you dare call me that again. I will knock your socks off. It's just the way I grew up. I appreciate you cleaning that up for our podcast Absolutely. audience. And <laughs> I knew that Zahn had to be the opposite of that, yet at the mm-hmm. same time, he couldn't be weak. Because Gene had written him as almost right. superb, a superb well, and, human specimen, a non-human. Right. But, I mean, you've got the Vulcan strength, which is just a gen- That's genetic. It had to be a given. Species. It had to be a yeah. given. And in my life, nothing was a given. You you did 100 pounds a 1,000 times because that's how you become bigger and stronger and you're a better boxer that way. And I felt desperate to shed all of that ahead of my becoming Zahn. The fasting was part of that. The second thing that I committed myself to, I had a dear friend, I didn't know this about him, but he had been a protege of Bruce Lee and was a black belt artist in Kwan Du, which is Bruce Lee's absolute personification of the non-violence mm-hmm. of the martial arts. Mm-hmm. And I committed myself as Zahn to be that person, that person who did not react to the challenge, that person who did not use his muscle in order to influence other people, who simply let their energy and then spin it around right. and put it back at them so that they were not thinking that you had pushed them away, that they had simply pushed themselves away. It's a fascinating turn. Bruce Lee was a marvelous human being to try to study. He was a nonviolent human being. And I felt... Well, I have to do this. This is Zahn. 
Sahan is a very powerful person, but he doesn't utilize it. Mm-hmm. He lets other people waste all of their energy, and then he simply wins by being. I shared that with Gene. He was so delighted at, we'll call it, my application of what I interpreted as his lessons that I was working my butt off to apply them yeah. to the singular character. Your means to his end. That's correct. Right, and delighted. And he had to be shocked and thrilled that you had taken it to heart to um, this degree. You know, he was such a marvelous human being, as everybody knows, and he was such a man of an adventuresome spirit, and he introduced me to some of the greatest people on the planet. So I try to say that being under the influence of Gene and being, therefore, under the influence of the character of Zahn has been and uh, will always be viewed by me as the greatest gift I could have ever received. Uh, it, it still feeds my life. I, I live much better as a result of the learning about how to play Zahn. I went to an incredible acting teacher named Jeff Corey. Many of you will know him. He was once a guest star in the original Star Trek series. Right. He was in the great motion picture Little Big Man, and he was my acting teacher. And it's he had a, been the high advisor, folks, from the Cloudminders, just to get yes. That's but, he, but he was known around Hollywood and around. Oh, he was James Dean's uh, teacher. Jack Nicholson's great teacher. I happen to be lucky to be in his uh, working studio, and then I get cast in this role, this role of Zahn. And so now I have to. Dear Jeff, I'm coming to you with this role. I've already secured the role. That's the good news. But now I'm scared to death about how to play this role because I'm going to have to really play it for a long time. And I really want to come to me, David. I've never really thought well of how Leonard approached the role. So this is going to be very exciting for the both of us. Come to my studio and we had one-on-ones. And he understood not just playing it, but the zen of what this represented to an ever-increasing fan base in a world. So as a Vulcan, full Vulcan, you can't appear to be trying to accomplish something because that would be illogical. That would be something a human would do, which is to try to exert himself into winning the argument. Mm -hmm. A Vulcan wins the argument simply because... It's right. Mm -hmm. But how do you act that? What do you do? So right now I'm looking at Larry sitting across from me, and I'm picturing his brain as a 33 and a third RPM record. And I'm realizing, Larry, that the stylus, the needle, is on the wrong groove. So all I have to do is I'm trying to push my logic towards you is pick up that stylus and put it on the correct groove. And as soon as that stylus, that needle hits that groove, you'll understand my logic, you will agree, and you will say... Carry on, Lieutenant Zahn. <laughs> well, and it on, worked, Lieutenant Zahn. Yes, it did. And it worked almost hypnotically. No, it, you're cutting out the noise. You're cutting out. You're cutting out the noise. The middleman of the BS. The obstacles. And, right. The obstacles. Yeah. And I think for Gene, because of what he expressed to me about, I send my body off to those board meetings where everybody is <laughs> being human and squabbling and getting over emotion and got to fire this person, and, and then I leave my, as he said, his perfect self would stay right there at his desk. Ah, I thought, now that's Zahn. And this was the November and the December and the So January. now I'm entering the first year, the, fir- the beginning of the year, 1978. Yeah. We're going through, you know, ears, testing, and wardrobes. Well, I was, and, if I may, yeah. just jumping back at our document of the week, we've actually got you down as a camera. There's a camera test day where they bring, bring you in. Now, there's no scene. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not auditioning. It's not a camera test. Mm-hmm. It says ear test. Mm-hmm. There's no call time. There's no specific scene. They're just getting you on film, I guess, with a new 
knew you'd been meeting with Freddie Phillips yes, and getting your own ears. In Marina Del Not Ray. generic ears. Who knows? They might have been old Leonard molds. I can remember lying down and having hot wax poured over my ears so that he could create a mold. Uh, I wonder where those molds are today. The fascinating thing about Mr. Phillips and everybody along this journey is I think they're all actually very excited about Star Trek coming back. There was something invigorating for all of them. I I could feel their pulse. Mm -hmm. I'm saying to you out loud, I was a total neophyte. I wouldn't have known one character from another. I didn't know the history of Mm -hmm. Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner. I was totally naive to all of this. Or DeForest Kelly. uh, Or any any of them down the line. Meeting these individuals along the way was also a process, an interesting process for a young actor to go through. It wasn't always warm and fuzzy, by the way. One thing before we leave this. Yeah. Apparently, uh, we've seen the footage of these Ted. They're doing engine, the goofy 70s-looking, I, I want to say Logan's Run or something, mm-hmm. um, uh, Space 1999 with color. <laughs> the engine room test, that footage has come to light. We've seen stills, and we've got the footage. The young man and young woman in their, for lack of a better word, Logan's Run-esque mm-hmm. outfits that they're in. Uh, this, I love this call sheet, this production report, because now we know, if we didn't already, that's uh, Henri Sigler and Mary Peters. So yay on uncovering this call sheet. <laughs> but for you, you're saying you don't really, this mm-hmm. is kind of a blur. Yeah. But I, there are other moments of that time. Yes, of course, during post-announcement that we're going to be a motion picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a certain amount of excitement, of course, and I remember being invited to the producer's offices at Paramount, and I'm going to hey, just hang on, Dave. Uh, Bill's doing an interview, but as soon as Bill's done with the interview, we're going to have the two of you sit together for a little one-on-one. Bill, of course, being? William Shatner, William of Shatner. course, Captain Kirk, and I thought, well, this is great. I'm finally going to get to meet the other players. You know, mm-hmm. I'm used to being in the theater. I'm going to start rehearsing. We're going to get to know each other, you know, right, go through right. the material. So here I am. Now it's sit down with Bill. Bill, Mr. Shatner. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure as I'm polite as I am, I greeted him very, very lovingly and handshake and all that stuff. And I don't receive, remember receiving a great deal in kind. I found it a little bit strange, uh, a little bit, uh, use the word cold mm-hmm. or something of that nature. It was like not even a hi, how are you? It was sort of like, uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. That's that. Mm. That's the conversation. Did you know your billing at the time? Were they going to have all these, like, from, obviously he would be the lead, and then without a, a Leonard Nimoy, was mm. it going to fall to D and then the rest of the cast? And you would be a, and... You have probably uh, have learned, as I did... I don't did, know what status you were going to have in billing. As yeah. I learned, not that long ago, that I was going to be extremely well paid. Hmm. And that I was going to be paid even perhaps per episode more than some. Mm -hmm. Well, good on you, but it sounds like that may have interjected some totally unexpected friction. To a degree, what I learned from the producer later that day when I sort of asked, why was that meeting, non-meeting with Mr. Shatner? He says, Dave, come on, you're 25. He's not. It's that simple. Oh, yeah, that's it. It's simple. You're a challenge. Yeah. You're younger. Doesn't that make sense? No, of course, it didn't make any sense. I'm, he's Captain Kirk. I'm not. He's the lead. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. 
Anyway, I'm sure there was a lot of things going on textually behind the scenes that I was not aware of, nor was it my place to be aware. I'm just in preparation for a great role, period. Well, let's look on the timeline. We know as history, this is January, this is February. They're Mm -hmm. pressing ahead with not a pilot for a TV series, but Mm -hmm. with a motion picture Mm -hmm. that would come back. In fact, you said you got to renegotiate your, not that you were in the math of it. Right, because now we're not doing a pilot for television. They had to pay me for that, a pre-negotiated fee. And now they had to renegotiate to ensure that I would be available for the motion picture as Zon, which is a little bit interesting Mm -hmm. to learn now because of the different sequences that are going on. And then to re-secure my services for six years following the release of the motion picture for the series Star Trek, now called Phase 2. Right. Post the release of the motion picture, they had every intention of going to series. And contracted for that. I would be playing Zahn. I was starting to learn, you know, by the spring of that year, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that Leonard Nimoy was very much now going to be back or part of the mix or is being Well, that's discussed. what we got to get to because by March 28th in this timeline, they had the huge motion picture banquet announcement. Uh-huh. Robert Wise is directing. Yeah. Leonard is back. Yeah. We're elevating it further. Nowhere in that banquet room that includes Grace Lee Whitney playing Janice Rand, includes Major Barrett playing Nurse Chapel or Dr. Chapel. There's no hmm. David Gattrall. There's no Zahn. There's no Zahn. Right. So where in that... Two or three months. How did this dawn? How did the news get to you? How did um, you get the memo? Should we discuss it? Yeah, let's. Yeah, let's right, so, pack it in. Uh, going forward, of course, over time, it became. Well, how, well, how did you get the news? It became a little yeah. bit obvious to me, and this is still. I'm still in Gene Roddenberry's uh, world. Mm-hmm. He and I together and stuff of that nature. He's letting me know as I find out that oh my God, the director is no longer with us. Oh, we're. Changing director. Oh, Bob Goodwin's no longer a producer. Where this, that, and the other thing as changes uh, are going on, up, right. as the budget's changing, as the look of the show has to change because they're competing with Star Wars and this, that, and the other thing. Things are moving along now. Yes, I'm being paid. They had to pay me contractually to keep me on hold because they were still in Gene's mind that Zahn was very much going to be in the motion picture. Mm-hmm. So that meant. Right now, I'm discussing this with you technically, that they weren't sure how much of Spock there was going to be. Mm -hmm. Is he going to make an appearance and then disappear and then be replaced during the movie with a new science officer? That was being scripted. Right. There's all these machinations going on. (laughs) Over a little period of time, I approached Gene. I can't remember exactly when. It's not fair. And I said, Gene, after all that you and I... And what I've done and how my investment is. I said, basically, please, Gene, let's not let Zahn become a character who carries Mr. Spock's suitcase on board ship and then says, I'll be in my quarters if you need me, sir. Right. And goes off and disappears. I said, I just feel like that would be such a a, a waste of everything. A disservice. Yeah, a a disservice. He understood what I was saying. Mm -hmm. And he eventually did clarify very clearly, it appears, David, that Zahn will not appear in the motion picture. And I was very relieved about that mm-hmm. because if you know what I'm saying, right. I, I'm trying to be as uh, succinct as I possibly can. Over a little bit of time, 
I don't know when the motion picture actually started shooting, Mm -hmm. but I know at some point in time they presented me with the opportunity to play this role of Commander Branch, a non-Vulcan, call him a regular guy, regular army guy. Human. Human guy. As is my want, I said, okay, what are you paying me? Well, you know what? You had a little history with this project. I think you're entitled. They kind of said, what do you mean? We've paid you and we've paid you and we've paid you. And I said, yeah, but this is a different role. This is an entirely different character. And they actually said to me, hand to God, you have any idea how many people want to be in this motion picture? Paul McCartney wants to be in this motion picture. Paul McCartney wants to play Commander Branch. And I remember saying, he's not an actor. That would ruin it. And I'm Uh a Paul McCartney fan. Yes. You know, in other words, oh, you want to bring in some celebrity cameos into right, your right. Star Trek motion picture? Sure. So cut to the chase. Two things had to occur. And Gene Roddenberry was instrumental. Gene, can you get me out of this contract? Can you get me out of this hold? But David, you're, you're, you're being paid. I said, but Gene, I think I know which way this is going to go, don't you? I think this is not going to play out the way you and I have imagined it. Meaning a seven-year series exactly. after the end, right? And I said, uh, I, I wanted, I, I needed the freedom to take on other challenges, mm-hmm. or however you want to verse it as an actor's career. I said, I, I just, and he did. He basically, and I have as testament to that, and I brought it to this session today. He provided me. With the actual 35 millimeter screen test of Zahn, and he gave it to me as a gift, and that was our parting. Wow. Yes. So you severed that contract. I severed the contract so that, to come back that and obliged paid. me to right. be Zahn for the rest of my life. <laughs> I was then recommissioned to play Commander Branch, which, as you probably know, technically. We shot those scenes long after right. the wrap of principal photography. Right. I remember going on the set. So you didn't, still didn't see, yeah, work with anyone else. No, no, no. Right. I never saw. I mean, any not of the it, we can see it on film. You're not in the scene, right. no. but you didn't cross paths. Completely pads. isolated, right. green screen. Robert Wise, gentle, sweet man. Um, and we shot it. I don't remember how long it took. I enjoyed the uh, the few days. Um, I looked at it as this wholly separate. Mm-hmm. Role obviously it completely was completely separate. It was probably sometime yeah. around 1979. It felt like a, a long two years, <laughs> to say the least. And I did that role, and then immediately left for New York and got cast in a series because I knew that that was ahead of me. Mm-hmm. And that was that, as far as I was concerned, until one very strange, somewhat. Interesting moment. I was in New York. I was doing a series there, and I got a call saying uh, they're doing another Star Trek, the motion picture. Leonard Nimoy is directing it, and he would love to meet you, and we're sending you a script. I went, wow, how cool is that? Well. I get the script. He's going to direct it. You'll know the title of it. I don't remember. Hopefully it's number three. So this is, you know, sometime down the road. I'd had no other Star Trek in my life, you right. know, fait accompli, and they've gone on and made another motion picture, and we knew there's no f- way that the series is going to occur. I read your the mental script. health had not been adversely affected, and you went on with your oh, life. Oh no, I was having <laughs> a working a, more than right. a yeah, it was, it was, more than anyway, one. more than wonderful. Anyway, um, I read the script, and it's some very interesting roles. 
And I realized, oh, my God, there's even a character named David, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought, this would be very nice. This could be very cool. Yeah. I read the script. I get ready. They fly me into Los Angeles. I go to Paramount again. I'm meeting at Leonard's uh, offices, which is very interesting. This is great. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm desperate to ask Welcome him, so to the 80s. which role <laughs> am I reading for? Mm-hmm. Before I could get to that, Leonard became very quiet very soto voiced kind of leaned a little in my direction and said david how did it make you feel when i took away that role from you hmm and i uh, i i looked probably just like you look right now larry and i'm sitting across from him as you could probably tell a little bit by now, I do have presence of mind. Yes. And I gave it a pause. And I said, well, Leonard, I'd been in the theater for quite some time, and I'd been in many plays that had closed on opening night, and this was just another one of those. And I smiled. And I think he actually took a breath. And I think it actually... If I may, I'm mm-hmm. interpreting now. Sure. It may have acted as a slight relief, a slight gasalt, or mm-hmm. a, oh, okay, let's move on. Now, here's the end of the story. Oh, can I just ask? Yes, go on. Did that come from the heart, or was there any calculation? I mean, you were sincere. I but was I mean, sincere. Were you, were you yeah. sensing that that was going to either... I'm sure it's, uh, we've all learned something, that it's what we think is what we feel. Mm-hmm. So the thoughts will always precede the feelings. Okay. So however it made me feel in that moment, which I'm not sure whether it made me feel awkward, I do know that I thought that, oh, my God, this is something he needs. Mm-hmm. This is a moment for him. Maybe this is something he's been carrying, that right. a young actor full of promise was about to play a great role on Star Trek. And replace him in the minds and hearts of the audience. But reality was he was dead. The character of Spock was already Mm -hmm. dead. So I I thought there was a lot of, uh, not confusion, but sort of like, oh, this is something he needs. Right. That's what I really believed in my moment. Something off the In my moment. Now, look, I'm much younger. He's a gentleman. He's, you know, an adult. And uh, it's not my place to overanalyze. But I gave him what I thought was a rational thoughtful, not incoherent answer, meaning it wasn't my time to cry right, and go, right. dude, you ruined my life, man. How could you? <laughs> because realistically, he hadn't. You know, I never thought well, about it. That's a testament to you. I never thought yeah. about it in So what terms. role did you get in his movie? I, I never even auditioned for it. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm not going to say this out loud. The greatest puzzle as I do these wonderful journeys with you I've never auditioned for anything Star Trek since. I've never gone up for, been considered for, been asked to come in and meet on. Mm -hmm. And it is now, right now, in this moment, a puzzle. I actually, because actually, I'm a working actor who works all the time. Did you stay L.A.-based for years? Did you uh, go back to New York? Didn't matter if they could fly you in for a meeting with Leonard. But I mean, TV budget versus a movie. Blah, blah, blah. Right. You know, you do a series in New York, and then you're free. You come back out to L.A. for pilot season. You do this, that, and the other thing. I've never not worked. So it's always interested me. 
because of the curiosity mm-hmm. of the fan. As you probably know, I've attended actually two events of a signing nature in my entire... Convention-ish? Do we yes. say the word? Okay. Yeah. The first one, and this is a fun anecdote. I pray I have moments to give it to you. Harry Landers, who is one of the final guest stars of the original series, yes. his son, Logan, was a dear buddy of mine. Just happened to be a buddy of mine. He says, Dave, I've created a product that I want to show off at the next Star Trek convention in Pasadena. This is back in the 80s. Right, when they were... And oh, by the way, my dad, Harry Landers, who was on the Ben Casey series, he's going to be coming and he'll be signing autographs. Why don't you just come along and it'll be really fun? I go, fine. I've had nothing to do with Star Trek ever. You follow? Right. Yes. I attend. I see Harry Landers with the stack of photographs. I see the beautiful product that my friend Logan uh, had created. It was very Star Trek. And, you know, people are very excited. All of a sudden, I hear the person on the stage who is eventually going to be introducing, you know, whoever the big guest stars Mm -hmm. are, uh, William Shatner, I'm sure. And he goes like this. Ladies and gentlemen. Zahn is here. <laughs> and I'm over in some half corridor, you know, not far from Landers going, I wonder who's playing Zahn. Who's, what do you mean Zahn is here? And the guy takes a breath. He's on stage. This is like Galaxy Quest, that movie. David Gotro, are you really in the room? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not dressed. <laughs> I'm not prepared for You're this. not ready for a public I'm appearance? I'm not prepared for a public appearance, but I kind of go, Do yeah. Calls. Well, the fans mm-hmm. all knew more than I did. And they brought me things to – I had no photographs. I had no 8x10s. I had nothing. Somebody found Please you a chair? Please sign this. Yes, you of sit course. Next to, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Sign, Just sit. Like, and my wife, when I got home that day, she says, you're taking this on the road. <laughs> I said, no, darling, no, darling. I've done it one other time. And the joy part of it is it's pretty simple. So I say to everybody, understand what Gene's purpose was, which was to bring peace on earth and to love his goal, which is to end war, uh, to act loving, kindly, Logically, if within logic there is love and compassion, that to be peaceful and to be compassionate is the tool to being healed and to being whole. And I really believe in that. I believe that that's what Gene inspired. And uh, my only chagrin ever about any of this is that the audience never got to see this fully realized right. Gene Roddenberry creation. That would have been a lot of fun. You had already lifted it so far beyond what meager words were on the meager pages. At it's, that point. Well, the challenge was obvious. There's one thing to say, oh, goody, goody, I got this role. But then the bigger challenge is, now what? And that was my job, was to go in with the now what? Well, you know, not only do they have these series, they have these short treks where they have the freedom, which they've never had before, without a lot of amortization and budget. They hop around to different different situations and it's and it's all on the front end this has just all been just a year or two in the making now and the, and the the current star trek franchise is evolving i don't know i i think i'd be up to seeing what happened to maybe he's not a lieutenant anymore well yeah no, no. maybe he's a lieutenant commander. I, I don't actually actually i'm not actually trying to say that i, I need to do. go play zon i know i know. i actually feel like 
that this is a great universe. And now, as an actor, I'm like, I want to be in this universe. I like this universe. I think the universe is ready for this. <laughs> David, thank you so much My for, for coming in and sharing so much of, I don't care who you've done interviews with in the past, I, this has just been golden. Thank you so much My for coming pleasure. down and sharing with You're us. You're more than welcome. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. All of our documents and your chance to comment are right there on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. And for more great podcasts, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. That's me. At larrynimacek.com. Trek well, everybody. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.